Well, good morning. Sometimes if you look over and see me seated when y'all are worshiping, it's because I'm going to be standing the rest of the service. And at my age, I don't do that quite so well as I used to. I want to say two things. Uh, first of all, I want to say something about youth camp. I graduated from Southwestern Seminary in uh, December of 1973. That's a long time ago, wasn't it? Long time ago. <laughs> and then the very next month, I became pastor of First Baptist Church of Frederick, Oklahoma. Lord called me to foreign missions, and I spent 18 years in Oklahoma. <laughs> no, really, I, I, I liked Oklahoma. It's a good place. Uh, I started going to youth camp in uh, 1974 that same uh, summer. From 1974 until I retired in 2011, I missed youth camp one week. That's because my wife, I mean, my, my daughter, who was a teenager, begged me not to go. Dad, let me go by myself. Please don't be there. Please don't be there. So I gave in. But uh, all those years, I went to youth camp. And uh, by, by going to youth camp, the youth knew I cared. It was hot, <laughs> wasn't it? Was it hot? <laughs> yeah. I, I remember, I knew I was getting old because a 16-year-old kid had me on the floor wrestling me, and I knew I couldn't get him off. I could not get that kid off. <laughs> but we, we had a great time together. And um, I discovered in that week of youth camp, I could get closer to the kids than 52 sermons from the pulpit. So I hope when you get a pastor, he'll feel that... Uh, Conviction to go and, and spend time with uh, the kids also because youth camp is very, very important. A lot of decisions, a lot of decisions are made at youth camp. Father's Day, bless you fathers. I, uh, I lost my dad before I was 10 years old. They finally quit fighting and decided to get a divorce when I was 10. And the day after the divorce was granted, my father illegally got married because you're not you're supposed to wait a month. And he moved to Houston, Texas, and I, I never saw my father. The 20 years that I was pastor of Highland, he lived in Burleson, 72 miles. One time in those 20 years, he came to Highland to hear me preach because two men in our church went to get him. They went to Burleson, and Mr. Camp, Father's Day is coming up, and... Uh, We'd like to give your, our pastor a special Father's Day gift. Oh, I think that'll be, be wonderful. What are you, you going to give him? You're going to come here and preach. Because we're going to come get you. We're going to come get you. And they did. And he came that one Sunday. When the service was over, he got in, he, he did bring his own car. When the service was over, he got in his car. He didn't even come to my home. He got in his car and he drove back to Burleson. So, fathers are special. I have a son in Oklahoma, and he, he's already called me this morning and wished me Happy Father's Day. My daughter, my daughter lives in Lorena, and she's called me yesterday and said, I want to know if I'd come over for dinner tonight, so I'll be, I'll be seeing her tonight. But Dad, let me say something. I want you to hear this. You leave your job to come home to your work. Did you hear me? You leave your job to come home to your work. 
Because the truth is, the only thing that you can take to heaven with you when you die is your, is your family. Can't take the work, can't take the recreation. The only thing is your family. So spend time with that which you're going to be spending eternity with. And I, I just lift you up. Being a father today is work. It really is. It's hard. And the enemy set a great big bullseye on you. Because he knows if he can take you down, he can take your family down. So stand firm, okay? Stand firm. Today I want you to open your Bible to the book of John, chapter 8. I want to talk this morning about Satan's favorite lies. Satan's favorite lies. And I want to, let's begin reading. Uh, he's, he actually, he's had this discussion with him starting in verse 30, but I'm going to pick up reading in verse 43. Uh, you know, he, he uh, well, let's, let's, let's go back. Let's, let's just go back. I think it would be good. Let's go back to verse 30. As he spoke these things, many uh, came to believe in him. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, then are you truly my disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. The truth is what makes us free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants, and we have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How do you, how do you say we will become free? They were fiercely blinded. They had been enslaved to everybody. In fact, they very seldom had any freedom. They were in bondage to the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Egyptians, and at this very time that they were speaking, they were in bondage to the Romans. But they said, we've never been that. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Sin always breeds more sin. Okay? The slave does not uh, remain in the house forever, but the son does remain forever. Slaves would come and go, but the sons were in the home forever. So if the son makes you free, you're free indeed. I know that you are of Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me, because the word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen from my father. Uh, therefore, you also do the things which you have heard from your father. Notice he talks about my father. He talks about your father. He answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to him, if Abraham, if you were children of Abraham, you'd do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God, this Abraham did not do. You are, going, you are doing the deeds of your father. Again, twice he said that. This is the second time. Your father. They said to him, we are not born of fornication, but we have one father, God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and have come forth from God, and I, uh, for I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. For you are of your father the devil. This is the third time he said that. You are of your father the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not want to stand... Uh, does not, does, does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, 
He speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar, and he is the father of all lies. Last week, we saw that we are in a spiritual warfare. It's not a warfare that we've chosen, but it's a warfare that Satan has chosen for us. I said last week, well, you say, well, I've not picked a fight with the devil. Well, the devil has picked a fight with you. And the Bible says that he's like a roaring lion stalking the earth, seeing whom he can devour. And uh, we're in that warfare. But the Bible makes it very, very clear that that warfare is not a flesh and blood warfare. It's not a physical warfare. It's a spiritual warfare. Consequently, the, the weapons that we use against him are not physical. They're spiritual. A lot, of, a lot of people believe that the Battle of Armageddon is going to be a great big physical battle out there in the, uh, the uh, Valley of Gehenna. And I've stood on the Mount of Olives and looked down into that valley. And they say that the blood is going to run bridle neck to a horse. Yet Paul tells us over and over in the New Testament that we're not in a spiritual battle. So if we're not in a spiritual battle, why should that, I'm, I'm sorry, we're not in physical battle, he tells us. So why should that last battle be a physical battle if all these other battles aren't physical battles? I believe that battle of Armageddon is going to be a spiritual battle. And the Bible says God is going to destroy them with the very breath of his mouth. So the weapons that we use uh, are spiritual weapons. And the thing about this warfare that makes it difficult is it's an invisible warfare. You can't see it. You see the effects of it, but you don't see it. For example, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 18 that we, uh, the things that we see are not real. It's the things you don't see, he says, that are real. So Satan is constantly sending these fiery darts at our minds, Okay. And the Bible says that we are to defend ourselves with a breastplate of righteousness. That's hard to say. And, and, and the shield of faith. But I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you put your armor on this morning before you left the house? How many of you got up this morning and said, I put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. I take the, the, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the shield of faith. My feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. My loins are girded about with truth. How many of you put that on? Probably very few. I'm not condemning you. I'm just saying probably very few did it. And you wonder why you're victimized by the enemy. The enemy is constantly firing those darts at us. We, we looked at last week. Sometimes he fires them through TV, through ads, through billboards. And sometimes they're not just uh, thoughts. They're, they're out and out lies. You know, there are two great forces in the world today, good and evil. But behind good and evil, there's truth and there are lies. The Bible says all truth is of God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The Bible says in God, there's no darkness at all. He is the light. There's no darkness at all in God. But Satan brings bondage. When we listen to him, he brings bondage. And again, these Jews were claiming that they weren't in bondage. What a joke. What a joke. Read the Old Testament. They were in bondage to everybody. Egypt, Babylonian, Chaldeans. God said of the Chaldeans, they're the rod of my anger and the staff of my indignation. He said of the Babylonians, I've ordained them for judgment and I've established them for correction. So they were in bondage. But yet there are many people living in bondage today that don't even know it. Remember, it's a spiritual war. There are many people that are in bondage to materialism. 
They're in bondage to greed. They're in bondage to lust. They're in bondage to debt. They're in bondage to pleasure. And they're living in this world, not realizing that they're in bondage to this world. Well, this morning, we're going to look at some of the lies that Satan tells. Because, again, he's, he's not going to just walk up, say it in your ear, but he's going to whisper it, or he's going to send that fiery dart. <clears throat> you remember what the first lie that Satan ever told? The Bible says the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And the serpent said to the woman, Yea, hath God said, You should not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the bits of the garden, God has said, You shall not touch it, and you shall not eat of it, and shall you touch it, lest you die. The next verse says, And Satan said, You shall not surely die. For God doth know in the day that you eatest thereof, your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for, food, good for food, pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and gave also unto his husband, and their eyes were opened, and suddenly they weren't like God, they were like the devil. They were no longer thinking about God, they were thinking like the devil. And all at once that relationship with God was broken, and they hid themselves among the trees of the garden. And God came and said, Adam, where are you? He said, I was afraid. Who told you, you who, uh, because I was naked? Who told you that you were afraid? See, something happened. But let's go back to what the devil said. The devil said, you shall not surely die. That was a lie. But it was a lie that had a little bit of truth in it. And the worst kind of lie is the lie that's got a little bit of truth in it. Because they did not drop dead physically, did they? But they died spiritually. The seed of death was sown in their hearts. Right then, handed down to their children, one of their sons killed the other children in a rage. But here's what they were trying to do. They were trying to question, he was trying to question the goodness of God. He was saying, God's holding back from you. God doesn't have your best interest in mind. If he had your best interest in mind, he'd let you eat of all the trees. And that's what he's trying to say to us today. He's saying, you, you can't trust God. God doesn't really have your back. And that's a lie. You know, when I felt called into the full-time ministry, I mean, the enemy just attacked me right and left. Uh, he said, now, I mean, again, these are the fiery darts that I felt coming at me. Uh, number one, he said, you'll never make it in the ministry. He said, if you go in the ministry, you're going to lose all your friends. If you go in the ministry, you're going to lose your girlfriend. Well, guess what? I lost my friends. Lost my girlfriend. I lost my place to live. My roommates told me that it's time to leave because I was no longer living the kind of lifestyle that they wanted to live. And so uh, he, he said, by the way, if you go in the ministry, you're going to marry the ugliest woman in the world. I'm going to send you to the darkest, remotest place in Africa. Guess what? None of that happened. But I was constantly bombarded with those lies of the enemy. You know, the enemy speaks to young people today. He'll say, you know, you don't have to pray about who you date. Don't worry about that. Just date whoever you want to. Uh, then when you get ready to start getting, thinking about getting married one day, then you start maybe be thinking about who you're dating. But the problem is we end up marrying who we dated, don't we? There's a verse of Scripture that says we should not be unequally yoked to believer to a non-believer. And that's applied to marriage. I believe that's applied to dating. We, we shouldn't, believers should not date unbelievers. 
See, there's a huge difference between lust and love. Let me tell you what the difference is. Love can always wait to give, but lust cannot wait to receive. Did you hear that? Love can always wait to give, but lust cannot wait to receive. And that's what some of these things are. They say, well, if you really love me, you'd do this or that. No, we shouldn't be put in those situations. If you date a believer, you, want me, you shouldn't be put in those situations. Um, you know, one of the things that the devil will say to young people is this. Your parents are old. They don't know what's going on today because they're far removed from reality. You know what the truth is? They're not old. They're experienced. They've been there. They've done that. And they're trying to keep you from hurting yourself. I remember uh, when my son started walking, uh, I, I, was, I, I was pastoring a Pioneer Drive Baptist Church in Irving, and of course, they had a parsonage right next door to the church, and they had a fireplace. And the fireplace wasn't built up, it was right on the ground level. And my son, would just, he would just go and stand, and just, it just, it was just a toddler, just a toddler, He'd go, he'd just stand, he'd just look at that fireplace. I kept saying to him, son, don't go touch the fire. Don't you touch the fire, it'll burn you. You know what, I could, I could have just said not anything to him. Just let him go touch the fire. And once he touched the fire, guess what? I'll never have to tell him again, fire burns. You know why? Because he'll have a scar on the palm of his hand for the rest of his life to remind him that fire burns. Young people, listen to me. Your parents are trying to keep you from having those stars. They have your best interest in mind. Satan will say they don't, but they do. I promise you, they really do. Satan will speak to a businessman. God will say to that businessman, let me control your business. Let me, let me lead you in your business. Satan will come along and say, well, if you start operating your business with business principles, you'll, you'll go broke. If you close your business on Sunday so that your people can go to worship God together, uh, you, you, you won't make it. If you practice the golden rule among your employees, you'll, you'll never make it. Why don't you ask the people at Hobby Lobby if they made it? Why don't you ask the people at Chick-fil-A if they made it? Because both of those corporations close on Sunday. If you've ever driven by Chick-fil-A, you've got to wait in line to get in there. Why? Because God blesses people that use his principles. Not only will he speak to businessmen, but he lies to married couples. He'll say to a husband, husband, if you love your wife selflessly and sacrificially, and you put her needs before your needs, she'll take advantage of that. She'll think you're a wimp. No, she won't. She'll love you more. She'll love you more. He'll say to the wife, if you submit to your husband's spiritual authority, he'll make a doormat out of you. He'll run over you. No, he won't. He'll respect you more. We're not talking about doormatism here. We're saying that the husband is head of the wife as Christ is head of the church. When you're submitting to your husband, you're submitting to his leadership, his covering. He has a spiritual covering there. But he'll lie to us. And again, the bottom line is he's trying to tell us you can't trust God. That's the bottom line. You can't trust God. You have to do it yourself. 
But what is the truth? The truth is no good thing will the Lord withhold from those who walk uprightly. The truth is his mercies are fresh each day. The truth is God's goodness endures forever. Again, one of his favorite lies is you can't change. Other people can change. Other people can be spiritual. Other people can live a spirit-filled life, but you can't change. I, uh, I've heard, I've, I haven't heard this very much. Boy, every time I heard it, it ripped my heart out. When I hear a parent say to a child, you'll never amount to anything. Wrong thing. You know, for part of my life, I believed that lie. I did. Again, my mother uh, married seven times. At one time, when I was 18 years old, I had a father that was 20. He was two years older than I was. She had met him in a bar, married him, brought him home. And uh, I remember dating a girl one time, and the girl and her grandmother told her one day, he said, you shouldn't be dating that young man because if there's bad blood in the family, it'll come out. Referring to my family. My mother spent a lot of time in jail. So I believed that lie. I believed I couldn't make it as a minister. I graduated 84 out of a class of 100. I, I wasn't the bright slide in chandelier, <laughs> by any means. I flunked out of college the first time around. And the devil keeps saying, you won't make it. You won't make it. You don't have it. You don't have what it takes to be a pastor. If you think college is hard, you wait till you get to seminary. But you know what? I quit believing that lie, and I started reading what God said about me, that God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. The Bible says not many mighty are called. The Bible says I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So when I went to Dallas Baptist College, I got out on my hands and knees in that, in that dorm room. I said, Lord, I've been here before. I didn't make it. But this time, I'm going to work harder, and you're going to help me, and I'm going to make it. And I graduated on an academic scholarship. Went to Southwestern Seminary, graduated. I had a B average. In fact, my last, uh, uh, I think they call them report cards anymore. I made four Bs. So I was, I made it. But you see, Jesus came to change us from the inside. And if God's calling you to do something, young people, I know they're scattered some over here. If God's calling you to do something, and the devil's telling you you can't do it, he's lying to you. Because God doesn't call the equip, he equips the called. He equips the called. So, we can change. Another one of his favorite lies is you can't forgive or be forgiven. Now he'll tell you you can't forgive. But he won't tell you that if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven, because that's what the Bible says. Jesus made that quite clear. We don't have an option as Christians. If we don't forgive, uh, we're, not, we're not forgiven. But he'll also say this to us. If you've committed certain sins, you can't be forgiven of those. Now, unfortunately, the Catholics have categorized sin. They say this is a cardinal sin. This is a worse sin than some of the other sins. What does the Bible say? The Bible says the law broken at any one point is completely violated. Over the years, I've had a lot of women that have come to me and said, I've had an abortion. I don't think God can forgive me of that. 
That's a lie from the pit. The Bible says the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. Doesn't leave any out. The Bible says if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just. Not only to forgive us, but to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So we can't keep believing the enemy's lies. We, we can. You know, the enemy just doesn't play fair. Here's what he'll do. He will tempt you to sin. Then after he gets you to sin, he'll condemn you for it. That's not fair. But he'll try to do that. He'll tell you it's okay to do it. Then he'll try to condemn you for it. But across the page where we just read, there was a woman that was brought to Jesus in the very act of adultery. Where was the guy? I mean, the last time I saw something about adultery, it took two. Where was the guy? It was to trap Jesus. But what did he say to the woman? Did he say, I condemn you? No, he said, no, I don't condemn you. Now go and quit doing it. Don't keep doing it. But I forgive you. I have no condemnation for you. The Holy Spirit, listen, the Holy Spirit will never put condemnation on you. He'll put conviction on you, but not condemnation. Another one of Satan's favorite lies is, don't go too far, you'll become a religious fanatic. <laughs> oh, he loves that one. Now, let me tell you something. You can become a religious fanatic if you choose religion over Jesus. If you choose rules and regulations over a relationship to Jesus Christ, you can become a fanatic. Some of the meanest, most miserable people I know are religious I'd rather throw my, honestly, I'm telling you the truth, I'd rather throw myself at the mercy of a bar on Saturday night to some churches I know on Sunday morning full of religious people. Oftentimes I'll go out and try to witness somebody. I say, now preacher, before you go too far, let me tell you something. I'm not very religious. I'll say, oh, I'm not either. What? I'm not religious. Religion can be a refuge. It can be a crutch. But we're talking about a relationship. But remember, it was the religious crowd that crucified Jesus. It was a religious crowd. Religion can drive you crazy. Let me give you an example. I was pastoring a church in Oklahoma. And there was a woman in that church that was sad. I mean, she, uh, there was something wrong. She had been hurt deeply at some, at some point. And so finally, I, I, just, I got her to just break down and tell me what was, what was been bothering all these years. Her father was a pastor. And... Uh, he upset some people. He didn't do anything morally wrong, but he upset some people. And they went out and, and got up a, got a lot of people try to get rid of him. You know, they'll get that business meeting and they'll go to the nursing home and bring people in in wheelchairs, you know, to get their vote. And so uh, they voted him out of the church. As soon as that Wednesday night, that Wednesday night, as soon as the church service is over, I'm sorry, as soon as the vote was taken, that uh, they were going to fire him. A woman got out of the, went out of the church, ran over to the parsonage, knocked on the door. The pastor's wife came to the door and said, we just, fired your, we just fired your husband. Get your kids and your stuff and get out of our parsonage. She said, I remember my mother just falling on her knees, crying like a baby. Never forgotten that. You know what that is? That's religion. They did not mind if you're religious. He minds if you get serious about Jesus, but it's okay just to be 
uh, religious. So, um, you know, I'm, one thing about religion that always, religious people don't like to change. You ever notice that? They just don't like change. But here's what I tell them. You can keep your traditions or you can keep your young people, but you can't keep both. I'll tell you why. Because our young people don't embrace some of our traditions. But I've been in churches where they'd say, well, we're not, well, we're not going to change. We're going to do this. And uh, adios. Adios. I think the tombstone on the church will read someday, we never did it that way before. We're not about to start doing it now. This past week, I talked to a guy from one of my churches in Oklahoma, an older guy, older than me. He's older than me, he's old. But he was complaining because the young people didn't dress. He, that's true, though. I'll be 79 in a month. Uh, he was complaining because young people didn't dress right for church. I said, man, I'm just glad they're in church. I was in church one time, and they, they, they wore their motorcycle helmets during church. I could have said, hey, get your motorcycle helmet together. No, they were there. And you know what? They would smoke with, under that helmet because they knew I couldn't see it. And I'd walk back to the back to greet people, and I left, and they'd kick the cigarette butts out in the aisle. So I'd see them. Oh, we've been back here smoking. You know what? They were in church. They were hearing the gospel. Here's what he said to me. He said, they have no respect for the sanctuary. You know why? Because God doesn't have a sanctuary anymore. Now, I know the old rule. You can worship where you play, but you can't play where you worship. But the truth of the matter is, in the Old Testament, God had a building for his people. Today, he has a people for his building. This building could blow down next week with a tornado, but it wouldn't destroy the church. You're the church. We're the church. So, one last one, last one and that's this one. I, I think this is one of his favorites. Make sure you stay in balance. Uh, you, don't, you don't stay in balance. What's that mean? If you're in balance, that means you're in the middle, right? You're balanced. You're in the middle. That means you're, you're average if you're in the middle, right? You know what it means if you're an average Christian? You're the best of the worst or the worst of the best. You're down here, well, that's the wor- you're the worst of the best, but up here, you're the, you're the best of the worst. Who wants to be average? Who wants to be balanced? You know, Jesus said something about lukewarm Christianity. He said he made him sick. So let me ask you a question, then I'm going to be done. Have you, uh, have you been lied to by Satan? If you've listened to him, then you're in bondage. There's probably men in this room right now that say, well, I'm not in bondage to lust. Why do you keep flipping channels till you find something that looks sexual? You know I'm telling you the truth. Why do you keep flipping channels till you find something that looks sexual to you? Because you're in bondage. Remember what Jesus said? He that sins is 
that, he, that becomes a lifestyle. And that can work both ways. It can work for women as well as men. So here's what God wants us to do. He wants us to trust him. God always, always, always has your best interest in mind. I promise you that. And you can change. You can change. You can be forgiven. And you can forgive others. I said this last week, but I think it bears repeating. Forgiveness is not an emotional thing. It's a matter of your will. I forgave the drunk driver that took my daughter's life. Not only forgave him, I, le I led him to Christ in that hospital. People say today, well, Barry, how do you know for sure, though? How do you know for sure that you forgave him? Because if God is my witness, I could not tell you that man's name today. If it, my life depended on it. And I promise you something, had I not forgiven him, I would remember his name. You see, the Bible says it's God that works in us, both to will and to do his good pleasure. All he wants us to do is surrender our will to him and say, Father, this person has hurt me badly, uh, and I don't think they deserve to be forgiven. Did, did, did you deserve to be forgiven? When they were nailing his hands to the cross and his feet to the cross, and he looked down at those people and said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. The truth of the matter is there's not a person in this room that deserves what Jesus did for us. And that person that you're holding that forgiveness back from, maybe, maybe they don't deserve it. But if you're a Christian, it's not a matter whether they deserve it or not. It's a matter of doing the right thing. And we say to God, God, I will to do it. Work in me, both the will to do your good pleasure. Satan's always working. He's always working. So we have to work harder. But the good news is the work's already been done. See, the work's already been done. We, we, we just stand in his finished work. We stand in his finished work. It's over. When Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Everything that, had to, everything that had to be done for the salvation of man was complete in that act. And today he offers you that salvation as a free gift. He says, if you'll just receive it, if you'll just open your heart and receive it, it's yours. So if you're here today and, and you say, well, I, I'm not good enough. That's one of the reasons I didn't become a Christian until I was 20 years old. Never thought I was good enough. Never thought I was good enough. I said, God, one day I'll clean my life up. And after I clean my life up, then, then I'll start you know, going to church and try to be a good, good person. It doesn't work that way. As the song says, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come. We come to God just the way we are. He receives us the way we are. But he loves us too much to let us stay that way. He comes into our heart. He becomes our Savior. He becomes our Lord. And then we start seeing the changes in our life that need to be made. Okay? Let's stand together for a moment.